Welcome to Counter Stories, program by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and viewpoints I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Don Eubanks, uh, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. We have a very special guest today with us, um, and I'm going to ask her to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me today. My name is Elise Mann. I am a family medicine and emergency room physician. I also practice addiction medicine, uh, both in the cities and in a rural area. Um, I am a Brazilian immigrant, uh, and I am thrilled to be here today. We are thrilled to have you, Dr. Mann, and I understand that we are going to benefit from your wisdom in so many ways. You have hospital privileges in Northfield. That's, that's correct? That's correct, yep. Um, this show, is, is gonna, it might be difficult for our, our listeners, so I, I want to warn folks that we will be talking about some hard um, consequences uh, resulting from COVID-19. And what prompted this discussion was an article that was shared uh, with me uh, by our former guest, uh, Representative Ruth Richardson. It's a piece that focuses on an area that we haven't really heard that much about in the news media for as much as I, I'll speak for myself, consume NPR, NPR, and, and, and other kind of national news channels. I haven't really seen this and, and I was really struck by it. Uh, It speaks to the number of children in our country who have lost at least one parent to COVID-19. And as of June 30th of 2021, that number exceeds over 120,000 children. Uh, And that does not include the recent summer surge that we've gone through. It does not include the winter months as as we are now in it. Uh, so that number arguably is, is much higher than that. And what is, is really difficult is the following statistic that, that really stopped me in my track. For every one white American child who is orphaned from COVID-19, 1.8 Hispanic American children are orphaned, 2.4 black children And 4.5 Native children are orphaned. 4.5. For every one white American child, four and a half Native children are orphaned. And that is disparately, of course, representative of our BIPOC communities because our BIPOC communities only represent 39% of the U.S. population, but yet the children who are being orphaned represents 65% of all children who are being orphaned. So again, another disparate measure um, that is plaguing our communities nationally that is is heart-wrenching. And we also know that, historically speaking, that our BIPOC families are more than likely to have grandparents who care for them as the primary caregivers. 
So if we look at a statistic along those lines, uh, the rates of grandparent care are twice as high among Black, Hispanic, and Asian children. So we're we're looking at even more vulnerable situations. Um, And then there are all of these resulting just horrific things that and 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 uh, data points, right? That happen in terms of what it does to our children, in terms of emotional developmental issues. And I'll stop there because I, I don't want to overwhelm, you know, the front part of the conversation here. But Dr. Mann, when we talk about these statistics that I just mentioned, give us a sense for for how that strikes you. Uh, and then tell us more about what you're seeing on the front lines, literally in the emergency room uh, in the hospital uh, in Northfield. Yeah, so um, it's a heartbreaking, those are heartbreaking statistics, right? Um, to to have any orphans due to something that is preventable is a heartbreaking statistic. Um, but if we go all the way back to social determinants of health and social inequities that put people at increased risk for COVID-19, uh, it unfortunately, this is the way we would expect it to pan out, right? Uh, and that's also terrible. Um, we have all these barriers to, to care and to health. And because of these barriers, when people of color or BIPOC folks show up at the ER, they generally show up much sicker than their white counterparts. Um, And this leads to increased rates of hospitalizations and of course, increased rates of death. Um, We have data showing that 34% of deaths are among the black population when they only make up 12% of the whole population. So, you know, these statistics are very troubling. Um, I see we have a large Latino population and when those folks show up to the ER, they are ill, they are very sick. A lot of them require hospitalization. Um, So, you know, making sure that we are promoting vaccinations and and mask wearing is extremely important, especially in those more vulnerable populations. Dr. Mann, I, you know, I've been a part of doing some PSA work, both in the Twin Cities for, for Amper's Radio, but then also um, with teams of, of clergy in the Duluth area, in the Arrowhead, trying to get this message out. And, and I think one of the things that we've all seen universally is that, is that, um, folks tend to start making different decisions when they are in proximity. Um, my own neighbor wasn't going to get vaccinated until um, he was able to hear the stories of family members and friends that are close to me. Um, and even uh, my time working and having to do hospice, um, attending as a, as a as licensed clergy here in Minnesota, having to um, having to to deal with that. Um, and so it's those stories that have been key. So, so what are some of those stories that you've experienced? I mean, I, I think now is a good time to start sharing some of those because I don't think people, uh, people are trying to put this out of sight, out of mind just because they don't see it um, and then don't hear what people, nurses and frontline workers are seeing every day. Yeah. So, well, first I'll start with someone today, this very day, someone asked me, can I even still catch COVID-19? 
I was kind of taken aback by that question, honestly. Uh, again, because we are just submersed in COVID-19 every day. Uh, but yes, it's it's out there. It's very prevalent in our communities and you can absolutely still get it. Because it has lots of hosts, it is mutating. Um, and so, you know, we have this new variant coming out. We think it's going to be more infective than the old variant. So you can absolutely still get COVID-19. It is absolutely still a threat. But I think one of the issues that people don't realize is that because COVID-19 is filling our hospitals, our hospitals are completely full. And so even non-COVID-19 patients are now suffering. And not only are they suffering, but they are dying because we cannot take care of any more people. Our systems are at capacity. You know, we hear um, the stories from the newspapers. The hospitals are full. They're at 98% capacity. They're at 97%. Nope, they're full. They're full. We can't get patients out of the ERs. We cannot get patients out of rural hospitals. We can't transfer them anywhere. There are no ICU beds. There are no ICU beds with vents. And so what we're seeing all over the state uh, are people COVID and non-COVID people who are now dying because our system has essentially collapsed. Um, so for example, um, I had a, a colleague tell me that they had a stroke patient in a rural hospital and that uh, it took three and a half hours for them to find a stroke bed. Now, it should have taken 15 minutes, right? Wow. Wow. And people say time is money. In a stroke, we say time is brain. Mm -hmm. Three and a half hours is unacceptable, right? That's a lot mm. of brain without oxygen for a very long time. That's what's happening in our hospitals. We are admitting people having heart attacks to rural hospitals across Minnesota because we can't get them into beds at heart centers. This is unacceptable. We do not have the specialists. We do not have the equipment to take care of people having heart attacks in other places. So we've, we've heard of people dying from having heart attacks that we could have potentially saved six months ago. Um, I have um, colleagues telling me that they're suturing people uh, in like the utility closets over buckets or in their grievance rooms over trash cans. We have patients lining our hallways. You can't walk into an ER without seeing a patient on a cot in a hallway. I was working, I had a patient come in unconscious and generally what we would do is we would intubate them, we would help them breathe. And so that we, it buys us time to figure out what happened, what was wrong with them. That was not an option on Monday. When we intubate a patient, we have to send him to an ICU. There were no ICU openings, zero. So in the year 2020, I had to tell a family that I could not do anything really to, to help. But I, I certainly couldn't do what I should have done because I didn't have the capacity to do that. First and foremost, our hospitals are completely full. They're completely overwhelmed. And again, COVID and non-COVID patients are dying. They're dying. We are watching people die every day. And I think that brings up another topic that healthcare providers are completely traumatized by what's been happening, right? Um, and that's a whole nother topic of conversation. We'll talk about it another day, but that trauma is real and it is daily and it is significant. 
Uh, you ask a doctor to talk about their experiences, people start crying, right? It's it's horrible. Um, so the the one thing that, you know, you, we can tell these stories and I hope people hear them, but the worst part for us is that we're watching this suffering and this dying and this is preventable. It is completely preventable. Um, we know that these vaccines work. We know they do right? Are the people who are vented and hospitalized, the vast majority of them are unvaccinated. We also know that masks work. They decrease the spread of COVID-19. We know that. So when you walk into a grocery store and you see a whole bunch of people unmasked, oh, it's terrible because it's so easy and it's such a, a, a good thing to do. Right. And the last thing is, is large gatherings. We're still, you know, we go to Viking thing. We go to concerts. We're just out there living our lives and we're spreading this like crazy. So to, to do those three things, avoid large gatherings, put on a mask and get vaccinated and get your booster. If you haven't, those are incredibly important. We're asking the public to step up, take some responsibility for this because the public is the first line of defense. We, as healthcare providers, are the last line of defense. And now we can't take care of you anymore. So essentially, as a society, we are kind of defenseless, right? So that's that's kind of my message, is that uh, those things are super necessary and we need to step up. All of us need to do our part because we don't all live in mini vacuums. We all live together. Yeah, a, a statement came out a few days ago um, from a whole bunch of health institutions, North Memorial, Mayo, Fairview, Central Care, Hennepin, Children's, Alina, Essential Health Partners. And the big headline was, we're heartbroken, we're overwhelmed. And the message was, get vaccinated. It, it, we're exhausted. And, you know, it was posted all over and on social media. And man, the comments People are blaming the doctors. People are blaming providers saying you cre created this by pushing a false uh, virus. Or um, it was the governor who created staffing shortages, turning it around and blaming those same people who then they turn to when they get sick with COVID. I'm just, I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated in like telling people because I feel like at this point, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, you're vaccinated. not. But somebody proved me wrong. Yeah, I would say that uh, I, I don't think that's necessarily true because what we're seeing in the hospital is that when people do come in sick with COVID and, you know, they come in and they all say the same thing. I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I got hit by a train. Everything on my body hurts. But top of my head to the tip of my toes, I am in pain. And I feel like I can't breathe. I can't, I, I cough a lot, but I just feel so short of breath. And then we say, well, you have COVID, right? Um, and then a lot of people say, can I get my vaccine? You know, and unfortunately, that's not the way it works, right? So I think there's, there's just so much misinformation out there. Um, but I think there really there are people out there who would still get vaccinated if perhaps they heard these stories, if perhaps they heard that you once you're sick, it's too late. Right. Vaccine is a prevention. Isn't there something you can give me to make me feel better? And I said, well, sure, there is a vaccine that you could have taken any time in the last year. 
you would not be this sick. And a lot of people honestly say, oh, I, I didn't know. So Dr. Mann, can you help drive home with clarity why, as you said, that's not the way it works. When someone comes to the ER and they're feeling beyond sick, you know, from the tip of their, you know, tip of their toes to their head, right, as you described, and and you're saying, no, they can't get a vaccine. We, you know, we've heard, but for folks who, who don't understand that, can you unpack that so that people understand why that is not going to help them at that point? Sure. So, so vaccines in general, but particularly the COVID vaccine for sure, it, they're preventative measures, right? You get vaccinated so that your body builds an immune response to this virus so that when you contract that virus, your body recognizes it and fights it off. Without a vaccine, that first time that your body con- comes into contact with that virus, it doesn't know what to do. And so the virus essentially takes over. And that's why we have these people who are so, so sick with COVID-19 versus if you've been vaccinated, you barely have any symptoms or you get a cold, you don't feel good, but we, you don't end up intubated in an ICU somewhere, right? So it is a preventative measure that helps your body recognize the virus. Once the virus is already in, it's too late. There's nothing we can do about that. There are some treatments now, like a monoclonal antibody treatment that people, some people qualify for, others don't. But, you know, it's a very short supply. Again, not everybody qualifies. Whereas the shot is easy, it's fast, it's free, and it works the vast majority of the time. So it's it's a no-brainer, really, when it comes to which one you should choose. And again, we in the ER and in the hospital, we see every single day that the vaccine works. And so if we, we you know, and lose, I think you said in here before, when society catches uh, a cold, people of color catches a, catch a flu, right? That we are always lag in the, or, or we're overrepresented in the numbers of folks who are disproportionately affected. And, and yet at the same time, you know, we may write off portion of sectors of our society who through conspiracy theory and myths and all these other reasons um, are are avoiding getting vaccinated, you know, and taking a political, cultural, a cultural political stance. Um, we can't afford that because we are the ones that are dying most often. But, it, it, you know, the way our society sets up now, I, I keep running into folks who are 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 partitioning themselves for a whole lot of different reasons from this from this real information, even even having people who have died. I was on a family call and we were doing it virtually because, of course, safety. And there were folks who were mad that we were doing it safe, you know, virtually as opposed to getting together in person. And I had and we had health professionals in the family pleading with folks, you know, uh, uh, my wife's cousin, who's a, a traveling covid nurse. She said, look. Here, you want to know what my Wednesday was? My Wednesday was wheeling a man into the room to say goodbye to his wife who was dying on the ventilator before wheeling him back to his room and and saying goodbye to him uh, two days later because he took a huge dip, right? And they all and they did everything they could to try to make that happen, given that both of them were severely sick, just to try to have some semblance of comfort and connection with these two. She was like, like, like that's my day. You know, and yet you want to sit there and not get vaccinated, and, and we and 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 the data is clear about about what what will happen there. You know, my grandmother's on the call pleading. She said, "I'd rather live with a with a, a potential couple day side effect of 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 grogginess from a vaccine than to die of COVID." You know, because we because they have all seen it firsthand, 
And I'm tr- and if we're so overrepresented, this is the, the kind of dissonance that's stuck in me because if we're so over, overrepresented in the numbers, yet we are also very represented in folks who have have uh, who are falling to misinformation and conspiracy theory around this. And so there's there's just things that aren't adding up with human behavior for me here, and it's and it's boggling my mind. I'm curious what are some of the ways in which you um, have dealt with folks, you know, especially who are who are clo- who you get access to because their family member is sick, but still might be denying or unwilling to do what they need to do to prevent this virus. Yeah. And the only thing you can do is have a conversation, right? I mean, I, I first of all, social media has ruined the planet right? <laughs> with just the massive amount of misinformation. Um, but that human connection where you sit down face to face with someone and you you share your experience is, is the only thing we can do, right? We're trying to connect with people on a human level here. We're trying to share with people the, the amount of trauma we're dealing with as we watch people needlessly suffer. And, and they're very difficult conversations to have uh, because people don't want to hear it because people are set in their ways because, you know, lots of reasons. If we don't have those uncomfortable conversations, if we don't share our stories, then misinformation continues to be perpetuated out there. And we all have to be a little uncomfortable and and try to fight that. I think there is no easy answer for that. That was a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just I'm just curious just as a health provider, just because, you know, folks, folks out here with less training, less less of the science in their hands. You know, we we, we trying to make the case. And, and, and I thought surely in many cases, getting a doctor on the case to say this is what it looks like real time would 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 start to change things. And, and Dr. Verna Thornton in, in the Duluth area, um, she's an OBGYN for Essential Health. And she she was I was telling her about that. And she was like, Anthony. I have had conversations face to face with all the science and real conversation and real experience um, as, as possible. And folks will still look me in my face and tell me everything I'm doing is a lie and walk away and end up in the hospital and still deny it. It's it's mm-hmm. it's crazy out there. Yeah, you're right. And I, I had a patient a few weeks ago um, refusing to put a mask on in the hospital. And, um, you know, the staff became quite upset because obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic and it was just very, it was a very hostile, like disrespectful act. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I took care of her family members. Uh, and at the end she started questioning me about why I thought masks were doing anything. And I shared some data with her and it, it didn't matter because she said she had done her own research and so, um, you know, how can you argue with that? I, you know, I did say I didn't do my own research. I left that to the people who do that for a living and who have studied this for 20 years. I left the research up to them and then I followed their recommendation. And she told me I was very sad because I wasn't doing my quote own research. Oh my gosh. You know, that, that was a very upsetting encounter for me. Um, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I, I took an oath to, to help people. And so I had to set that aside and I took care of her family. I did the best I could. And I, I had to go like kind of shake that off because that, that was very upsetting. Um, especially I, I was in the middle of trying to help you. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, 
the dissonance that both Anthony and, and Lee have uh, referenced, I mean, that she would discredit your expertise in that, but at the same time, bring her family members and expect medical care and quote unquote, trust that you will care for them. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense, right? Um, but yet, this is how it's happening. I, I know, you know, as recently as yesterday, being in line at a grocery store um, momentarily, but people still are not social distancing. And I'll turn to the person in the back and I'll remind them the social distance and and they'll look at me like I'm speaking some kind of Martian language to them. And And I'm just thinking, why is this so hard? I mean, I'm not asking you to go stand in Alaska, you know, and you're not, you're not going to get to the cash register sooner if you're two inches behind me versus three feet or six feet behind. I mean, the register is still there and it's still moving at a pace, but it is, it is just incredible um, to see that. And, and of course we've got fam, uh, we've got members of our counter stories crew with us. Um, Don, I, I'm thinking about you and you've had, You've had, you know, some tragedies, plural, in your family uh, that you've mentioned before, you know, who have lost their lives to COVID-19. I can't imagine how difficult this is um, as, as we talk about this data and, um, and Dr. Mann talks about her experiences. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it brings close to home because I lost my mother um, April of last year, very early in this pandemic, because um, uh, she was uh, one of the numbers that were in a uh, health facility for for seniors. And that was a horrible experience to go through, because back then we didn't know as much as what we know now. And so there was like no contact. And the fact that we weren't able to say goodbye and when she did pass, there's, you know, in our, you know, as members of the Malax band, there are, you know, protocols, traditions that we go through, through burial, and we were unable to do any of that. I mean, back then, they, she was taken from the facility straight to the morgue, from the morgue straight into a casket. And and then put into the ground. I mean, we there was nothing for us to be able to do um, for her passing that happens in our culture. Um, so that was an extremely hard, difficult time. And then this past summer, um, my mom's younger brother contracted uh, COVID and he was fully vaccinated. And much like uh, Dr. Mann has has uh, has t you know mentioned earlier in terms of uh, patients that might need other medical care uh, up around the uh, the uh, Malax Indian Reservation, there there are um, a couple of hospitals that are close. One in Onamia, in a Malax Healthcare System, but they don't they can't handle those type of cases. So you always hear of people being airlifted from from Onamia. And he ended up actually in uh, Winona. So, you know, Malak's health system in Onamia couldn't handle his case of COVID. Then they're airlifted usually to St. Cloud. 
St. Cloud is the next closest facility that handles that. Well, at that time in, in June, the beds were already filling up and he ended up in, in Winona where he unfortunately passed. Yeah, I know it's been politicized. You know, you know me, I was very angry with the previous administration and their and how they, in my mind, mishandled this whole COVID pandemic. I think uh, um, that helped us get to this point, but for it to be politicized now, and you know, I, I don't think I'm the brightest bulb on the tree, and and COVID can be confusing. I mean. You know, we get so many different messages that some it, it, it's, it can be hard to keep up. But I do know that getting a vaccination is a preventative thing. And if I should happen to get sick, hopefully I won't be a breakthrough case. But I don't want to find out. So I don't go in grocery stores. I don't go because I see too many people going in there um, without masks on. I don't understand it, you know. I, I know, um, I know, Doctor Man. You mentioned that, you know, about this individual that was debating you in terms of research, and they did their own research. And unfortunately, I think their research is on social media, and and you know that's not research. So it does become confusing for folks. But you know, I I still have a hard time trying to understand how, with all this information how anyone could not at least know that you're supposed to get a vaccine if you want to try to remain healthy. I, I would have a hard time believing anyone could come into the hospital sick and then try to act like they didn't know they could get a vaccine. I'm sorry, I'm have, I, I can't accept that. I just think it's fallacy. Yeah, Don, I'm with you. It's reading the headline, but not reading the article. Well, you know, but I think it's it's more it's more nefarious than that. I I get not paying as much attention to the to the deeper story behind, but I I feel see folks folding themselves into pretzels to make what they're believing true in this mm -hmm. in spite of overwhelming evidence. I mean, I think the hard thing is like when my sister got a breakthrough case, her her symptoms were very mild, and so then people are like, "See, she still got it." And she was vaccinated. Or they would be like, uh, oh, it's fine because it's just very mild, like how she had it. And, you know, trying to explain to folks, like, it's different for everybody. And she, it was milder for her because she was vaccinated. And yes, the vaccination doesn't stop COVID completely, but it helps your immune system to fight it. And it's, it's trying to explain those to people. And then they, they continue to argue back with me. And I'm not a health professional. Um, if I was, I, I don't know how I would keep my cool around people like that. So I, I'm just able to like turn around and just be like, well, okay, I'm not going to hang out with you anytime soon, you know? Uh, and I, I just don't engage with people in public. Let's get some of that clarity from Dr. Mann, I think, you know, because we do have the honor to have someone who is, uh, trained medically. And is on the front lines, and so I think it's it's incumbent upon us to help um, tap her wisdom. And before I, I I yield to you with the question, I do want to just um, emphasize the humanity of the stories and the examples that Don has shared, that Halee has shared, that you've shared, uh, as well as Anthony. I know 
I keep a, a running list on my phone of all the people in my network who have contracted COVID and who have survived, contracted, and have passed. That that list is almost a hundred now, a hundred people, and ninety five percent of them are BIPOC. Um, of those who have passed, we've got about just over two dozen. This weekend alone, two family members in Chicago, breakthrough cases, COVID, um, I found out. And then Sunday evening, a good friend of mine, um, breakthrough case as well. And she, she got it so bad. She ended up getting the monoclonal, uh, antibodies. Um, and she was fortunate to get that because it is unusual uh, in terms of access and availability and eligibility for it. But Dr. Mann, help us, you know, to, to Lee's point right now with regard to the variability of how it shows up. It's my understanding that it's, it's the complications or the high risk factors that really play a role um, and how someone responds as a breakthrough. Sure. Um, I think a very common misconception, and it's something that you, you mentioned people use in their argument, is that if you are vaccinated, you cannot get COVID-19, right? That That is absolutely not true. Again, what that vaccine does is that it arms your body with the correct cells to fight it when you get it. And so you can get it and you can have just mild cold symptoms, um, and if you do get sick, you generally get better faster. Um, and most importantly, that degree, that severity of illness in a vaccinated person does not reach the level of an unvaccinated person. You go into, you can walk into any hospital in America today, and you will see that the vast majority of everyone in that ICU who has COVID-19 is unvaccinated. You may have one or two people in there who are vaccinated and the rest always unvaccinated. Uh, in the ER, when we see patients come in and they are in respiratory distress, we can bet that they are unvaccinated and we are right 99% of the time. So it is a misconception that you cannot get COVID-19 if you're vaccinated. You can, but you will do better. That's really helpful. Um, I mean, it's it's... It's not a sure bet one way or another is a point, right? It is not. Nothing is, Nothing in medicine is 100%, right? I can have a patient walk in with a heart attack and live. I can have a patient walk in with the same heart attack and die within five minutes. Every body, every person, every body is completely different. And so we can guess. We have, we have patterns of what's going to happen, right? Again, vast majority of people vaccinated won't die. We, we know that. But that's it's never 100 percent, not with COVID, not with anything in medicine, because we are all individual beings. Um, but what we can say is that, you know, we have taken we take care of COVID-19 sick patients every single day, every single day. And we watch patients die of COVID-19 on most days of the week. I have never not in a year since this vaccine come out has come out. I have never not once had to intubate a patient because they got the vaccine. I have never had to hospitalize a patient because they got the vaccine, right? So you you are taking a risk versus getting a vaccine or not. You want to be one of the 5 million who have died of COVID-19 or do you want to have some mild side effects from the vaccine, right? 
You know, one of the one of the um, other things that I has been running through my mind, Doctor Man, and with uh, everything else that we've talked about this topic, especially when we started out, because um, the fact that you know, it, I don't keep track like losers on my phone, but through social media, almost daily. Um, in the American Indian community, someone is is stating that they they have COVID. It seems to be hitting the American Indian community um, kind of in waves. And right now, we're going through another wave where I'm seeing a lot of infections on the resin and also here in the cities um, in the American Indian community. What do you think is contributing to that, Don? I know you drove up to Malax to get your vaccines and boosters, right? Yes, and and it was a it was an anxious experience for me because I elect not to put myself in surroundings where I'm by a lot of other people when I don't know what their status is. As folks of color, as BIPOC pop populations, one of the things that we deal with, or many of us myself included, that we've dealt with in in our entire life is dealing with trauma. So much like what Dr. Mann is talking about in terms of how they're they're dealing with patients and that trauma builds up, that trauma begins to weaken your system. So for us, we have been dealing with microaggressions, racial microaggressions, you know, my fight and flight um, system has been whacked for all the years that I've had to live in this country as a black Indian. And, and so after a while, your, you know, your system, I think, gets totally impacted by that, negatively impacted by that. I don't want to find out whether or not I'm going to be a case that contracts COVID and has a mild case. All right. I mean, I don't want to take that chance because there's also that chance that I could be that breakthrough that gets still gets sick, even with the the vaccinations and the booster. I just don't want to take that chance. And so I elect to keep myself safe and away. But that wears on you because then you're isolated. You know, when we first got together, Hilly, you asked me how I was doing. I'm doing all right. You know, I just retired, but I haven't been able to enjoy my retirement because of this pandemic, because we can't get individuals to get vaccinated and we can't get people mm-hmm. to wear masks. So it prevents individuals like me mm-hmm. from being able to get out. It saddens me and it really saddens me to hear Dr. Mann share these stories. It really saddens me. Dr. Mann, what about, you know, I've, I've heard folks say, well, I'm back, so I don't have to wear a mask now. I mean, this false sense of security. Can you speak to how inaccurate that is? Yeah. So, you know, despite being vaccinated, you can still, we know now that you can still pass that virus around, especially this, this new variant. Um, so, you know, when you vaccinate yourself, you protect yourself, you protect your neighbors, you you do a, a wonderful thing, but we're still not out of the woods, right? That virus is still in our community, unfortunately. 
uh, because not everyone participated in the mitigation efforts. And so we still need to continue to mask for sure, because we can still pass that to each other. Um, and, you know, we may never know who we pass it to if we get it. Uh, but but imagine knowing that you are responsible for, for the suffering of another human being by because you didn't want to put on a mask. It's something so simple, something so easy that could help save somebody's life, right? So again, you know, as a society, we really need to step up and take responsibility for our actions and we need to work together because we are a society. Our actions impact our neighbors every single day. Uh, it's not it's not about me, 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 right? Um, so, you know, and how do we change that way of thinking? How do we go from me, me, me to us? We are a team. We are in it together. But that's the, that's the but that's the American way. It's <laughs> yeah. individualistic yeah. and me, me, me. Yeah, we've talked about that so many times. The difference between an individualist-based society, which is U.S., versus a collectivist-based culture, which is most of the BIPOC communities, right around the world. Uh, we are collectivist by nature uh, versus a Western uh, European culture here in the U.S., uh, which is individualist. You know, the other the other thought that comes to mind is we're, you know, the holidays. This is a holiday season and folks want to get together with their families and they might have a false sense of security. Well, you know, Don's my cousin. You know, I'm not going to get sick. Right. Um, it, it's going to be OK. It's it's this level of, well, I'm in proximity to them to them by blood, which means I'm safe. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we, we see in the ER, we got together for so-and-so's birthday. We all have COVID now, right? We have had, and this happened uh, kind of towards the beginning of the pandemic, but we had a dad uh, come in with COVID. The whole family got it. And it was the son who had brought it into the house at a family gathering, uh, and this, you know, this is what I kind of mentioned earlier. Imagine being responsible for the suffering of somebody else. This man died, right? And they couldn't say goodbye to each other because at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was isolated in the hospital. Uh, but imagine living with that. You went to a, a family gathering and you gave your father a deadly virus. Um, that's that's heartbreaking. It's horrible. Um, so. There is a false sense of security because we are family, but it is definitely a false sense of security because we see that fall through again all the time. So you can get together for the holidays. We just ask, you know, do it responsibly. Limit the size of the parties. Limit the number of families in a household. And testing is so widely available. You can do it from home. Test yourself a day before. Everyone has a negative test. You know, that's some reassurance. Uh, and is everyone in that house vaccinated? That that will also be a huge deal. So, you know, encourage, encourage your family, your friends, your neighbors to test and to be vaccinated before everyone gathers around the table. Because as healthcare providers, we are absolutely dreading January. Uh, you know, we already can't take care of people because our hospitals are full. What's going to happen in January after everybody gets together for the holidays? We're going to see some unprecedented amount of suffering at that time, I'm afraid. And, and um, 
yeah, as healthcare providers, we are all we're talking about that and we're all kind of getting ready for for the worst. It's it's very scary. Dr. Mann, you know, um, we, we we began talking about the overrepresentation across many, you talked about many social determinants of health um, and the overrepresentation of, of, of negative outcomes for, for BIPOC communities. And we began talking about the, the long-lasting effect um, that we're going to have. Luce, uh, um, you gave a statistic earlier about the number of children who are facing, who are orf, have been orphaned because of this. Um, and I, I want to put keep that front and foremost on the table because as as a pastor, one of the things that I will get from folks in communities that I connect to are um, and I, and I have to chuckle to keep from crying. It it, it uh, my faith, you know, if I get a vaccine or if I do something preventative, that somehow it's an act um, of a lack of faith. You know, there has been not just a weaponizing and politicization of a whole lot of different stances around everything happening around. Unfortunately, this is in one of the another casualty of this weird political socialization thing that's happening. But I'm hearing folks try to use faith language as a reason not to get the vaccine. And I'm not talking about being concerned about pork products in a vaccine. That's something that we can have a conversation and get around. Like there's ways to, to address that, you know? So anybody who's, who's still carrying that around, there's a way to address that. Talk to your healthcare professional that can be addressed. I'm talking about folks who on a matter of faith principle, big air quotes, saying that I'm not going to get the vaccine because I have faith in God or I have faith in all these things. And and I hear clergy leaders, especially some of the clergy um, members in the health cabinet in the Duluth area with Essential Health and, and all the folks out there, they're like, look, is it not a matter of faith that <laughs> if, if if your belief in God is here, then 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 what is it, what does a doctor say? You know, I have made medical advancements. I have, you know, then is that not a matter of faith? Um, is it not a matter of faith to protect many children from being orphaned? Is that not still uh, protecting them still a matter of, of your faith? And I, I'm seeing that more and more as we kind of get to the more hardline pieces of this. Because like we said earlier, people die in your vicinity. Like, like It's a game changer. It, it changes minds. You said it yourself, folks come in with severe, and, and now their whole idea about the vaccine has changed because they want, they want it now, not even understanding that they it can't do nothing about it because it's preventative. So I'm just, I want to add that to the lens that, that the real consequence on the end of this is death, is orphans, is all these other things. And I don't want us to lose sight of that uh, when, you know, as, as folks are trying to deal through misinformation and, and, and this political, social political tribalism, that's, that's another pandemic that's affecting us right now. Anthony, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause as we close up, um, that was a point that I wanted to drive home and piggyback off of Don's earlier statement with regard to trauma and uh, and yield to Dr. Mann uh, after I, I just raised the points here, which is when we think about the adverse childhood experiences, which in, in the medical community and social, social uh, sociology community is ACEs, right? Traumas like violence, suicide, poverty, physical abuse or sexual abuse can impact a child's Development. I mean, their emotional development, their developmental um, consequences, all of that. And so when you think about having a death in the family, having one parent uh, die from COVID, we're looking at potential then lower educational achievement by the child, slower brain development, higher risk of mental health disorders and substance abuse. Dr. Mann, talk to us about 
that part of it, right? Uh, as as both Don and, and uh, Anthony are lifting this up, that the trauma is can be long term beyond just I shouldn't say just beyond having a death in the family. Can you help us understand kind of those long term consequences that we can um, point to as as yet another um, difficulty coming from from this pandemic. And I'll I'll just add on to that, Luz. We we talked a lot about how intergenerational our families are as communities of color. And when you lose a parent, um, when a child loses a parent, they uh, a, a grandparent might be losing their caretaker. So it you know it, it goes both ways, and it's not always the case where the grandparent can take over caring for that child. So not only is there a death, but then there is a separation that takes place, adding more trauma and compounding it all. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, losing a parent is one of the top aces, right? It's one of the most traumatic experience a child could have. Um. And when you have enough enough of those traumas built up, you know that increases your risk as an adult for issues, substance use, um, maternal fetal health, like early uh, fetal death and pregnancy complications, uh, involvement in sex trafficking, um, and and even diseases like diabetes, heart disease, certainly depression and suicide. Um, we are also seeing that that constant toxic stress, um, which again has been compounded by COVID-19, can actually change the way that kids' brains develop, the way they pay attention, the way they make decisions. And there's also now a potential um, evidence that the DNA in your body changes because of that. And you pass that down to your children. So, you know, when something like COVID-19 is going to amplify all those ACEs and all those traumatic experiences, and again, it's something that we can prevent. Not only we're not preventing disease, we're not preventing that, we're preventing passing this on generation to generation. It, it even makes it that much more important. Um, so those ACEs are a, a very, very large part of the conversation that we should be having more often. Thank you, Doctor. Um... Thank you for that clarity. And, and you're right. We should have it um, at, as a headline more often. But for some reason, uh, we're not. We're not seeing it necessarily covered in, in mainstream media uh, the way it should. And, and that's why you're here at Counter Stories, right, to help enlighten our audience and enlighten us as well um, to make the best decisions for our loved ones and our community, uh, right, beyond. You could be a single person and and be a listener of ours and not have any children, uh, but we still hope that you understand the communal nature of your responsibility to care for everyone in the community by doing your part, uh, as Dr. Mann had so wisely said. Well, I will uh, yield to you any last parting uh, words of wisdom, Dr. Mann, that you'd like to share with our listeners. Just uh, with this coming holiday season, be safe. Um, please get your vaccine. The vaccine is very safe and effective. Get your booster if you haven't gotten your booster yet. You can make an appointment at just about any pharmacy, many doctor's offices. 
Um, the state has a website where you can find places to get vaccinated. Please, please do that. Test yourselves and your family before you get together. Wear a mask in public spaces and avoid large unmasked crowds, please. Healthcare provider across our state and our nation who are working so hard day and night, nurses, um, medical practitioners such as yourself and everyone along those lines who are risking your own safety on a personal, you know, on a daily basis uh, and and just compromising your personal life in terms of commitments with your family and and making hard decisions. So um, there's not enough gratitude in my heart to let you understand how how grateful we are. Um, It's, um, you know, uh, we we should not take. Thank you. I so appreciate that. It's, um, you know, uh, we we should not take anyone for granted at any time, but even more so now when, as you said earlier, this is taking uh, a toll both physically and mentally on all of our health uh, care providers across our community and our nation. So thank you so much for everything that you do. And thank you for coming on Counter Stories and helping us understand uh, COVID much much deeper from your perspective uh and there's an open door for you anytime that you want to come back uh we would love to to have you hopefully in a better in a better situation right one day with that um this has been counter stories i'm luz maria frias deputy attorney general with the state of minnesota any comments and insights that i share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Don Eubanks, uh, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. I'm Elise Mann, family medicine and emergency medicine physician. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.